we're not a church. We wouldn't pretend to be a church, but we are very close. And um, maybe even closer than some churches. Um, just because we meet daily, most churches don't meet daily. And uh, when something like a death of someone that we see every day occurs, we are all affected and we are all sober and um, we're all reminded of our frail flesh and the temporary nature of our lives and yet um, the impact that we have on each other. So we pray for one another and we grieve and we sorrow, not as those who have no hope, but we do weep with those who weep. And um, so I think, I think the exercise of sorrow is very important in a praying family. And um, I know that those who are affected by death are grateful for our praying and support before the Lord. <clears throat> I'll also mention uh, one thing and maybe even um, the soberness of our gathering here today um, would uh, lend itself, as, as some of you would know that are in the U.S., that uh, this Wednesday the Supreme Court will hear um, a case uh, which has to do with uh, the abortion um, industry and the abortion matters in our country and probably uh, the most significant abortion case, case since 1973, Roe versus Wade. So uh, we, would, we would encourage as those who value God's ways and God's sovereignty and the and the sanctity of human life, we can be praying for um, wisdom uh, for the justices to have um, in their hearing of this case. Um, it's a significant, significant case. So um, I think you'll you'll allow me to do this today in that um, God had laid what I'm going to say to you briefly here today on my heart last night before I went to bed. And even as I got up this morning and uh, before Stephen called with uh, news of Catherine's homegoing, um, I had been mulling over this. And so uh, just because I know this is what God has been doing in my heart, I want to present it to you. And, and yet I think you'll understand that it, it does have an, has a, has an application uh, to what we've seen over the last few days, even in the homegoing of saints for the Lord, because uh, I want to have us consider a text that we've considered many, many times, Acts chapter 2. But as I was going to bed last night, I was thinking of a different application of this text, which has really impacted my heart, and that is... Um, uh, we'll look at verse 41 here in a few moments, but the book of Acts was written in a tempestuous time. It was written in a time, it's easy, it's easy for us today to look at the book of Acts and see it as a joyful time, and it was, but it was also a time of great opposition. It was great uh, tumult, and, um, and yet the gospel was the prime desire, the advance of the gospel was the prime desire of the early church and the glory of the Lord, even in the face of physical opposition and spiritual oppression. So these were dark times, 
but they were bright times for the gospel. Um, we could think of Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John were detained for preaching the gospel. We can see Acts chapter 7 where, where Stephen was slain for the advance of the gospel. So uh, we have to keep these things in mind as we even think about the context of, of this. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day around 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear or awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, I've been in this text many times, other speakers have been in this text many times, and I have looked specifically at verse 42 as four pillars of the early church. And certainly, if we build a church on these four pillars, there's going to be the blessing of God. And, and I think there is valid application of this. But as I was reading earlier in the book of Acts, I'm kind of looking at this text in a different, in a different, with a different perspective. Maybe a more biblical illustration than pillars would be four sails, four sails on a ship. And um, the four sails of the early church that God used to propel the early church forward and change the world. So consider with me John chapter 3. You need not turn there unless you can get there quickly. But John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, or where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So there is a parallel here between the way God's Holy Spirit works and wind. And we see that also right before the text that we read earlier in, in Acts chapter 2, because in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, the, the scripture says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And if you know the context here, you know that there was at least one thing that pre preceded this, and that was verse 14, where they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So this is the upper room prayer meeting. So I want to encourage us in this that we cannot create awe. We can't create movement in our own strength. We can only obey. We obey God. And it appears that as we obey God, that obedience lifts up the sails so that when the wind of God blows, our sails are up <laughs> and ready to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit. And awe comes when we feel the boat move. So we're in the boat, the sails are up, the wind 
catches and fills the sail, and we can actually feel the movement of the boat. And it brings awe. This is a God thing. Man can't create wind. Only God does. But we can feel the movement. Um, and it's it's it carries us. Uh, boats don't move that don't have their sails up. Now we would think maybe contrary to that because we're in the day of the internal combustion engine, and and many boats don't have sails. But back then. You had, if you're going to move the boat with any speed, I guess you could paddle, but with any speed, there were, the sails would have to be up to catch the wind. Um, it's not humanly moved. But not only can we sense the movement of the boat, but all the other people in the, in the ocean or in the sea can see it happening and we see this even in this text in Acts chapter 2, because fear came upon every soul. I mean, not just even those um, believers, but probably those unbelievers around. Something of God's origin was happening here in the early church. So we have these four things, the teaching, the fellowship, which has to do with the gathering of God's people, the, the, the breaking of bread, which hap- happens to do with evangelism, and even, I think, church planting. But then praying. And could it be that many good churches, and this is, this is, a, this is a, a speculation, I guess you could call it, many good churches, and I'm saying good churches, have three of the four sails up. And they may catch some of the wind, but not the awe <laughs> not the full propulsion, not the awe that generates the movement that comes from having all four sails up and that fourth sail being God's people praying together. So um, what does that take? What's it take to be on the boat and raise the sail? I'm not a sailor. I'm, I've, I've been on boats. Um, I've never been on a, I've never had to raise a sail that I remember. But I would assume to raise a sail, it would take getting our minds off other good things, maybe creating a meal or enjoying the scenery. All these are good, but it would take focusing on one thing, raising the sail. It would take effort of which we have no strength of our own. It is the the life of Christ coursing through us that gives us gives us us effort. So it would take forsaking other good things. It would take effort that God gives us strength for. It may even take training. I mean, I would have to learn how to raise a sail. Our gathering here is a school of prayer. I've learned so much from every one of you on how to pray and and praying in the Spirit and Paralleling with the scripture, we learn these things. But even then, raising a sail would mean faith. We're raising the sail before the wind comes with faith that the wind will come, with belief that the wind will come. And so, um, could it be that that's another application of pray without ceasing? We're hoisting the sails 
on a regular basis, even for an hour a day, we're hoisting the sails so that when the Holy Spirit moves, we're ready. We're ready. Um, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. You have not, the boat's not moving. You have not because you ask not. You're not hoisting the sails. So even that fourth sail is powerful and needed. So um, let's be praying so that when the wind blows, we're not starting to pray. (laughs) We're already praying. And we see an awakening as God moves the ship. I heard somebody say, and this is true, that the church in Jerusalem went from 100 people to 100,000 people um, in just six months. So the wind of the Holy Spirit of God blew. These people had already been praying, and God brought awe. God propelled the ship. So the book of Acts is in written in the context of suffering and depression, but the sails were up. And we're knowing very troubled waters, even in the homegoing of dear saints. But, but the time to pray is even now as there are troubled waters, as there is tempestuous seas. This is not the time to take the sails down. It's the time to keep the sails up and let the Lord Jesus carry us through the storm to his great glory. So let's let God do his work as we are obedient and faithful. And as we have our sails up for the glory of the Lord. So we will pray, and uh, we will continue to pray, and we will be faithful in praying. Thank you so much for day in and day out hoist, no, sail hoisting. And um, may it be that as we are praying that the Holy Spirit will blow, and we will know awe, and we will know God's working, and gospel advance, and even revival and awakening for his great glory.